podcast and go ahead christian i'm christian saucier with uh, no podcast at all <laughs> i'm diana kyler i'm one of the rotating co-hosts on freedom beans worms i'm, I'm surrounded with celebrities i like it <laughs> <laughs> oh and i'm also ben stone one of the rotating uh, uh co-hosts on freedom fiends so i get to i get to say it twice yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you guys done a show I together? Not, uh, yeah, actually we did. Remember we did one, um, uh, you and Michael and I did one, uh, or we did like an hour of a two-hour show on, I believe it was a Sunday, a oh, couple yeah. of months ago, I think. Weren't you in Montreal? No, we were in Toronto. Oh. Yeah, we, cool. were, at, we were at the Bitcoin conference in Toronto. <laughs> okay, so we were going to talk so- about, oh, go ahead, Christian. I, I was gonna say we we uh, you know we figured we would reach out to you Ben because you are you know a professional RV guy as far as I'm concerned and Diana and I are thinking about potentially uh, taking our life on the road and um, it's a complex and scary proposition but it seems to be one that would help us. Uh, achieve our goal of increasing uh, the liberty, the amount of liberty we have in our life, and um, and so we're, we're you know we've been dreaming about that. We've been looking at these. Uh, some of them are pretty pricey. Some others are, are a little more affordable. But anyway, so we're looking at the, these RVs and we're thinking, all right, you know, h- how do we get there? And we figured talking with you might be a good uh, a good way to get started. Yeah, um, and we got a, a list of 13 questions here that you guys were thinking about. Um, do you want to just jump into them, or, or how do you how do you want to handle it? I, I think before we jumped into the question, I, I figure maybe the, the the number one question is is do you like it? Oh yeah, I love it actually. Uh, for a couple of really personal reasons, like I don't like shoveling snow and I don't like mowing grass, so. If we're uh, if we're on the road in the the summer and the winter, then I don't have to deal with either one. In our at our home in Ohio, uh, it seemed like I was always either mowing the grass or shoveling snow, or preparing to mow the grass or preparing to shovel snow. So this gets me away from all that and uh, allows me to let other people do that kind of stuff. All I have to worry about is keeping gas in the tank. And keeping reservations booked ahead of uh, you know ahead of where we're going to land the next. Yeah, wow, that sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> actually, oh wow, I'm now I'm looking at my questions and it actually was question one. So we did jump into questions. We're so organized. <laughs> so so how long have you been doing this? We've been full time about twenty months now. We had. Uh, a slight break last year while we took care of some stuff at our house and got it secured so that 
Uh, my son could rent it from us so that he could sort of live in it and take care of it. And he has he he kind of takes the bottom half of the house. It's a three a three story house or a tri I guess it's considered a tri level. He he lives in the bottom half. He has a roommate that lives in the top half. And then they together uh, cover uh, by paying us rent that covers the house payment, and that allows us to be on the road without the burden of taking care of a house. So we've been doing this, uh, like I said, about 20 months with a slight interruption, and I don't know how long we'll be able to continue it. If everybody, you know, if all the things like the gas prices and everybody pays their rent and everybody does what they're supposed to do, um, it could go pretty much indefinitely. But uh, uh, at this point, we're we're both we really like it and we're really comfortable in it. And we've learned enough that it's really starting to get very uh, uh, very routine and and it's still fun and exciting because we're in new places all the time. But the things that we're doing, we know to the point of where we can set up and break break down the camp, move it to a new place, place set it back up with minimal effort and minimal amounts of time. So we've gotten pretty good at it. Um, I, have, I have a question based on something that you said about having um, having your permanent residence. Um, do you feel it's important to maintain a permanent residence while you're on the road? Um, it, it For one reason and one reason only, it is convenient, and that is uh, communications with people like the government and with, you know, uh, things, things well, that... <laughs> well, as, as far no. as like mail, uh, I was thinking of the government being the U.S. mail. Um, if you can get your, your uh, communications with the outside world, if you can get those mostly electronic instead of going through the U.S. mail, um, then you have less and less reason to be uh, tethered to actual physical property. And there are actually services that can cost anywhere from like 5 to $15 a month where they will give you a, a – uh, it's like a P.O. box except it looks like an actual address – and so all your mail can go to there, and then they'll forward it to whatever campground that you tell them that you're in. And you can go online, send them an email, update the, the campground, and they'll automatically send the mail to whatever campground you're in. So even that problem can, oh. can be taken care of. Um, so, yeah, I, I would prefer – in in ways it would be handy to have like a uh, an empty lot somewhere – in the middle of the United States that we could go to and land for a few months a year and, you know, but when you do that, now you've got to maintain that land in some way. You've got property tax on that land or you've got, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, the burden of having that. So in lots of ways, it's, I can, I, I would feel a lot more free not owning any physical land at all. And just uh, just moving where you know because that allow that allows you to let's say the storms are moving in in one area there's hurricanes in the Gulf or whatever you just go someplace else or the winter's getting too cold mm-hmm. you just go south and you don't worry about what you're leaving behind. I think it's uh, one of the you know, Rockefeller, one of these guys from the uh, early 20th century who said, uh, own nothing, control everything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, essentially everything should be in, in, in either corporations' names or, or, or other you know, entities, not to your name directly. 
and uh, and yet you know you you want to retain some level of control over you know those assets. And um, right now, for me, this is really hard to do with a house or with land or anything like that because I don't really have a big company like Mr. Rockefeller did. So, um, so I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm leading towards the uh, own nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that actually, I'm I'm not sure who said that. If it was Rockefeller, it sounds like J.P. Morgan because that was kind of his philosophy. Oh. But it could have been. It was one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, one of them. They all look the same. In my yeah. <laughs> The tycoons. <laughs> Money smells the same no matter what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you, you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago that you had uh, you know learned all the tricks and you could you know set up and break down camp you know really quickly. Uh, did did you camp a lot before you decided to start living in it? You know. Camping uh, lifestyle. <laughs> we, we have done quite a bit of camping. We owned a uh, prior to owning the current motorhome that we have, which is a fairly nice Class A. We can talk about the difference in types of motorhomes and so forth if you want. But prior to owning this one, uh, we had an older uh, Class C motorhome that we put quite a few miles on, and we spent quite a bit of time in it. Um, prior to that, we've had truck and camper type camping, and we've had tent camping, and my wife and I. Um, pretty much started out when we first got married, tent camping and doing quite a bit of it. And then, uh, you know, as we got kids, we uh, progressed to a truck with a camper on it and, you know, eventually uh, a Class C motorhome and now a Class A motorhome. So we've been doing this in one form or another for quite some time, although there were large gaps where we just couldn't afford to even take a vacation or anything, you know, trying to raise kids. But uh, we've kind of had it in our blood right along. My my parents were, uh, they owned their first motorhome way back in the mid-70s. And my dad pretty much always had some kind of motorhome or something like that uh, to, uh, to camp with. So I, I was kind of raised around it. And then all of the years my wife and I have been married, it's been a, a, at least a, a sideline thing that's always been around. Mm. It's pretty new for me. Uh, I did camp, you know, maybe like, you know, 20 years ago. I did like maybe a couple of camping trips a year. And then I stopped, started focusing on my corporate America job. And uh, now I'm kind of tired of the corporate America job, which is why I'm starting to uh, look at uh, alternative source of revenues and alternative, alternative lifestyle like this. But uh, Diana, what's your experience with camping? I camped, I, I camped frequently as a child. We actually had a, uh, a Volkswagen camper, which to me was just a lot of fun. It was, it was just the three of us, my mom and my dad and, and myself. And so it was, I don't know, I don't remember it being like too small or anything like that. My parents probably disagreed with that. But, um, <clears throat> but since I've been an adult, I've actually done a lot of tent camping. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I have a lot of RV experience, but I have a lot of camping experience. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm an outdoor kind of girl. So my, my most recent experience was Forkfest. And that was we awesome. We were camping, though. Yeah, I know. But still, I was around campers. Yeah. <laughs> so you got the camping via osmosis. Yes. Yes, I did. And and it was the best time. And now we're going to try it out with... Uh, oh, yeah. it we're going to the uh, the Midwest Peace and Liberty Festival in Michigan, and we're going to tent camp. Oh, cool. For four days. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so compared to Porkfest, which, again, sounded awesome, How's a regular day on a campground? 
It's very peaceful. Uh, campgrounds tend to... You, you kind of have two flavors. No, let me take that back. You kind of have three flavors of campgrounds. Uh, one uh, you kind of tend to want to avoid, and that is the campground that's not really a campground. It's actually a very low-income trailer court that is, you know, it's really, I mean, a lot of people are living in campers, but they're living there full-time, and they're extremely working poor. Oh, no, we've seen, um, quote-unquote, campgrounds like that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and we stay in quite a few of those. Um, The downside is that you do have a little bit higher crime tendencies, and you do have more likelihood that the police are going to be cruising through the campground in the middle of the night and things like that. So, you know, that's always a problem. But um, when you get away from that type of campground, and we've found that there are a lot more of those in the northern regions than there are in the southern regions. I don't don't know why that is. But but when you get away from those and you get more towards true campgrounds, you have campgrounds that are oriented toward old retired people, and you have campgrounds that are oriented – towards young families and then you know always a blend somewhere between those and they're both really fun uh the old people are really kind of cute to watch you can they they have their routines they have their morning exercise their yoga and they have their they have these programs like bingo you know and and they uh they have uh, a, a like a Friday night dinner or a Saturday night dinner is a big deal, and they all get together and they, you know, they all socialize and they're very uh, outgoing and very, uh, it's very community oriented and they're very accepting of new people coming in because that's they're all new people essentially. And then the family campgrounds are also fun because you get to just sit and relax and watch. You know, little kids riding their bikes and kids playing basketball and kids just having fun doing the stuff they don't get to do in their regular life. Now they're out camping doing it, you know. And so you can, uh, it's a little bit louder, but if you can get over the fact that kids are having fun and they make noise when they have fun, if you can get over that, then it, it's still a lot of fun watching them, you know. But uh, that's, a, that's very interesting. The, uh, you know, today, I mean, you know, the, the apartment lifestyle where you have no idea who lives, you know, right, left, up and down from you, um, well, to, 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 to rediscover a sense of community living, that's, uh, that's actually a, a good side effect I had not thought of. The other thing, let me make a north to south distinction. What you don't find in the north a whole lot, and there are exceptions specifically in New Hampshire, Vermont, and upstate New York are fairly friendly uh, campgrounds, but the bulk of what we've found in the northern northern and midwestern states is that nobody really is all that friendly. They, there's very little um, you know, greetings and waving at each other and that kind of thing, but the further into the south you get the more likely you are to get where every person in every camper waves at every other person as they go by and, and people, you know, say, hey, how you doing today? And, and they, they greet each other as they walk by, whereas in the Midwest and the North, they tend to try to ignore you like you're not there and, and hope that you'll ignore them as well. Have you, have you done much camping out West? Uh, not in the last few years. When we were young, that was we lived out in California, so we did uh, a wow. lot of tent camping out there. But uh, that's been you know uh, 25 years or so. So, and we did it in at, 
out west, uh, a lot of our camping was just go out into the middle of the desert or out into the countryside where uh, it's considered legally it's Bureau of Land Management property, uh, which means nobody really owns it. And uh, so you can just go out there. You don't have to pay anybody for it or get any permits or anything. Just go out into the middle of it. And and we like to do that uh, quite a bit. And there you don't see anyone or you see very few people. And that's a lot of fun uh, and also very inexpensive. But you also have to be equipped for that because it's – it takes more than just running out in the middle of the desert. You you have to be you have to have uh, the equipment to to handle that. Yeah, like a generator and your own you know water source and yeah. things like that. Or um, one of the things that I've, I've like thought that would be a really good thing to have would be solar power. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really makes a big difference when you're out like that, especially out west. Hmm. Are you, um, so you mentioned you have a class A, um, motor home. So, you know, and, and, and Diana and I were lucky to go visit it, you know, at Pork Fest. Uh, very nice. It, it kind of gave us the, the, the spark of an idea like, hmm, maybe we could do this. Yeah. This is all yours and Cindy's yeah, fault. We're blaming it on you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, have you ever, well, you know, you mentioned earlier you had a class C. So that was also with the engine, you know, with the home. Or, how do you call them? I don't even know. How cl- the Class C is the one that you don't need. Uh, you don't need a special um, permit for to drive. It's yeah, just like I, driving a truck. Basically. I'm just debating. I'm just debating what's the different name between a motor home where it's the motor with a home and just a trailer where the motor is well, the car or the truck. The, 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 then, it's, then you're talking. It's just like a trailer. <laughs> so I've got the tra- right terminology it's, already. It's, this it's, is great. It's a travel trailer, or um, we were looking at a fifth wheel. But there's Class A trailers as well. No, they're just trailers, right, Ben? Yeah, I can kind of run through the know. difference uh, for you on each one. Um, we have we have basically two kind. Well, let's we have basically three kinds of trailers. We have the little uh, camp pop up trailers, which are fun for a weekend and fun for a small family or so forth. They can be pulled behind almost any car, and they're really lightweight and they're very inexpensive to own. They don't last very long, but they're a lot of fun. And that's the little pop up camp trailer. And then the next type of a trailer is just considered a camp trailer. Um, and they are some of them are very luxurious, some of them are very uh, sparse and, and uh, spartan, but it's just essentially a, a regular trailer of a larger size that uh, you probably want something the size of pickup uh, or so to pull it with. And those can be fairly nice; they're not that expensive. Uh, you can probably get somewhere in the twenty to thirty thousand dollar range and get a really nice one. And then there's the fifth wheel trailer, which you need a specialized, uh, at least a specialized pickup truck to pull one. And if you're going to be doing much over the highway, uh, you really, you really want to spend some money on a really good heavy duty truck uh, to, to to do that, because the fifth wheel trailer is a big trailer, and you can expect to spend about forty to sixty thousand for the fifth wheel trailer. And if you want to be mobile very much, you should expect to spend about forty to fifty thousand just on a truck that can pull it comfortably. So the investment there, you're looking at close to, at or around a hundred thousand dollars to have the the truck and the fifth wheel trailer together new, and of course you know used uh, the price goes down uh, quite a bit. 
but um, the advantage to that is that you have this you know this monster truck that's super powerful and and can you can put a lot of miles on it and it's handy because you can disconnect it and do whatever you want with it. Um, the downside of any trailer is first off that you're pulling a trailer and that requires a certain skill level uh, that's outside of what the normal driver experiences in driving cars and so forth. So that so there's a little bit of a learning curve there, and then the bigger the fifth wheel gets or the bigger the trailer gets, the more cumbersome it is in things like wind and traffic and stuff like that, and it can get pretty tricky. Uh, then we get into, uh, there's three types. I think, I think we broke up there. Oh, oh, oh. Are you still there, Ben? Yes, I'm here. All right. Did, uh, what part so, did what part did you hear last? Uh, you, you were saying that uh, the, the trailer gets caught in the wind, and, and I was I was suggesting is not is not the same case though with your class A motorhome where it's like a, a huge bus, and I, I'm sure that has some lateral wind uh, uh, issues as well, right? Yeah, um, with the motorhomes, there's essentially three types of motorhomes, and they're kind of named oddly. But uh, there's class A, class B, and class C. And instead of doing it the obvious way, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump to the middle. The class B motorhome is essentially a van with some amenities to it. It has uh, uh, usually a sink and a toilet and, and some bed area and so forth. But really, it's the class B motorhome is just a very nice van. Um, a, a class C motorhome is the one that kind of looks like it's half camper and half van. It looks like it's got the nose of a van, but the body of a camper. It often has an overhead bed that sticks out over where the driver sits. Um, this is the Class C, and they tend to be unwieldy in wind. They tend to be... Um, uh, they typically don't have stabilization jacks, so when you're sitting parked... Uh, they bounce as you walk around in them, and it's hard to get them level. Although some of them have stabilization jacks, so so some of them you can get them level. And that's important for two reasons. Getting your, your uh, RV level is important because the refrigerator won't cool if it's not level. They're really a weird machine. And the other thing is it's very difficult to sleep if you're not level. Um Fifth wheels and trailers are really easy to level because they have a pivot point in the middle where the wheels are, and you can just raise one end or the other and just make it level. It's really simple. But motorhomes of all kinds are they're you know they're they're on four wheels. They're supported from four points, and and if you begin to lift one end or the other or one corner or the other without keeping everything perfectly balanced, you begin to twist the frame of it and it becomes very unstable. Um, going back to the wind issue, the Class C motorhome is the worst in the wind of all the motorhome types. When you get to a Class A motorhome, you have a vehicle that is so heavy that it becomes very stable on the highway. And you, you do have, you can feel wind, but not as bad as with uh, the Class C and not as bad as with a trailer. The problem with a trailer or fifth wheel and wind is that the vehicle itself is so light 
that it becomes like like a big sail. It's it the wind wants to take it everywhere. But uh, the bigger the class A motorhome, the heavier it is, and the more stable it becomes, and the more it sort of glues itself to the ground on the highway, uh, and it it, uh, it becomes a lot easier to drive and a lot easier to maneuver than a person would think. Uh, I I think I covered all that. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like uh, based on uh, some actual experience driving each one of those models, uh, the Class A driving experience is the uh, potentially the safest, but certainly the most enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Um, of course, the little Class B uh, motorhomes that are basically a van, those are really fun. They get great gas mileage, 20, 25 miles to the gallon. Uh, they're really a lot of fun. But um, but the but the class A, if you're going to be in it full time, to us is the way to go because it's it is nice and heavy on the road. You don't get thrown around when a truck passes you. Um, you know you don't uh, you don't have the the some of the setup problems that you have with a trailer uh, are just not there with a class A. You pull in, you push a button, it levels. And then you connect everything, and that's pretty much it. Uh, there's not a lot of hand cranking of jacks and things like that that go hand in hand with the with the trailers. Yep. Do you miss the Do you miss the local mobility? Like I didn't notice you pulling a car or anything behind your your Class A at Porkfest. Do you? Uh, you know, how How'd you get your your bread and your uh, your groceries? Without uh, to to use the terminology, uh, motorhome people or or RV people refer to a car that you tow behind a motorhome. They call it a toad, like a frog, a toad. <laughs> All right. And uh, and it's a kind of a derogatory term, but uh, you typically want to tow a vehicle that you don't mind it getting thrashed because if you tow it behind a, a motorhome. Uh, it's probably going to get rocks thrown at it from the, you know, from the tires of the motorhome. It's going to get dirty. It's it's impossible to keep it clean. And if anybody, if you're involved in any kind of an accident, the odds are, with especially with a Class A motorhome with a tow, the odds are somebody's going to ram your toad. That's usually what happens in an accident yeah. with a Class A motorhome. Um, we do have a toad. And we have a little a little uh, a dolly type trailer that it pulls on. It's super lightweight. We can just pop the car up on there and pull it around and pop it back off. We have actually taken it off and put it back on in a gas station just to be more mobile, getting in and out of a gas station. So it's it's really easy to get the car on the the uh, on the trailer dolly, get it back off. It you can't even feel it when you're towing down the highway. Uh, you you can't even feel that it's there. The the you know the the vehicle uh, has so much power and everything that the little tiny weight of the tr of the car behind us is like it's not even there. So that sounds that sounds then like a, almost a necessity when I mean once you park you don't want to move that thing <laughs> like clearly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how often do you guys move around? Uh, so we saw you just a couple of months ago in the Northeast. Now you're in the Midwest. Um, is it like a every month, or what's what's the schedule there? Yeah, we try to uh, we try to be in the northern uh, areas in the summer and the far south in the winter. And uh, we have membership at several organizations that have uh, associations of different campgrounds, so we can. Stay so like one one organization that we have membership in is like a couple hundred dollars a year. I think it's maybe close to three hundred dollars a year, and we can stay at any of their campgrounds, and they have lots of them. 
for uh, up to I think it's 15 days or it's 14 days or I think maybe it's 14 days, two weeks. Uh, we can stay for free or for a very minimal charge, like they might charge us two dollars a day or five dollars a day or something. Um, so we we tend to want to stay in those and move every two weeks or so. And then we have another uh, organization that we have membership in, and we can stay up to 20 days in that one, or it might be 21 days. I, I guess it's probably 21 days, three weeks. Um, and those are pretty nice. Those are nicer parks, actually. So we, we try to space out our driving and time our, our actual driving trips so that we can bounce between one or the other of those and get as little uh, charges for actually stopping as possible and stay as long as we can in each of those locations. Wow, every two weeks. That is a lot of movement. <laughs> <laughs> but a moving target's harder to hit, too. Well, there you go. <laughs> wow. And, and, and so you go to these, these places. So, so having these memberships sounds like that's probably a key approach as well. And do you – so every two weeks, you, you probably don't have much time then to um, – develop relationships, I guess, with, with people around the campground. So it's not like you come back to a campground a year later and everyone's like, hey, Ben, or, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, we, we do repeat a lot of the same campgrounds, and you do get to know uh, some of the regulars there, and you get to actually see people uh, that you saw, in, in especially if they have membership in the same organization, uh, then you know, you're bouncing between a half a dozen uh, campgrounds over the course of uh, of a year, and so you'll often see the same uh, people uh, in one that you saw in the other. You might be, you know, you might be there for a week before they show up, and then you leave after a week, and they're there another week or something like that. The time frames don't all uh, coordinate, but you do see quite a few people uh, on a repeat basis, and you do kind of develop uh, a friendliness with certain parks that you uh, tend to hit more often than others. I'll give a, a real quick example. There's a place in southern Alabama called Sticks River that we have a membership at, and that has kind of become our home base. We'll go in there and spend like 20 days, and we might go out someplace else for a week or two or, or someplace for another week, and then uh, and then we'll be back there again for another 20 days. And then we might go out for three or four days over in Pensacola. We might go for three or four days in Mobile. And then we come back to Sticks River again. It's it's kind of um, we're we're developing that into a sort of a, a home base we can work out of. And I think a lot of the RV people end up doing that in one way or another, that they'll find someplace that they're really comfortable with and and continually migrate back towards it. You know, this this reminds me of uh, what I used to call my my airport buddies. Um, not the job I have currently, but my, my previous corporate job was one where I, I had to travel every week, you know, Monday to Friday kind of thing. And um, and you know, it, this was all around the U.S. And, but but even though you know it's 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 very random and you go all sorts of different places, you do end up going through you know often the same airports because you're going back home every Friday, for example. And you see the same people. And you see the frequently. same people, yes. and you become buddies with people that you just meet for a couple of hours a week at the airport. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, that's pretty funny. So so it sounds like that even though you have a limited amount of time that you can actually spend. 
um, at, at one time in, in one of these camping areas with the, with the memberships that you have. You can leave for a couple of days and then come back and spend another 21 days or two weeks or whatever it is, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm, it is cool. So how does that uh, compare? You know, you had a home, you know, maybe two years ago, and uh, obviously having a home has, has all sorts of advantages. That's kind of the dominant lifestyle nowadays. Um, you know, fr from a cost of living perspective, uh, I I'm assuming RVing is cheaper, but I, I, I don't know. Gas and everything else, you know, how, how does that play out? Uh, gas is the random thing that's really difficult to deal with, but mm -hmm. if you take that out of the equation, um, it's considerably cheaper uh, to live the way we're. Let, let's let's set this scenario up. Let's assume that my wife and I owned no physical property, so so none of the burdens of property ownership uh, were right. on us. And ideal would ideally we'd like to to get to that position. If that were the case then we would live much uh, less expensively or much less uh, much less costly to uh, to live in the method that we're living now than we did in a home in most homes you're going to pay anywhere from say maybe 800 to 2000 a month in in house payments you're going to have anywhere from say 50 to 300 a month in uh, utilities You're going to have well, that would just be like gas and electric, and yep. and then you would have uh, more, maybe a hundred dollars a month in water in some places. You're going to have anywhere from say fifty to three hundred dollars in cable TV bills. Um, now you compare that to us, and we have uh, uh, we ha we have internet almost anywhere in North America we go because we have a Verizon hotspot that provides us with internet, and that's cheaper. Then, well, that was about the same price as what we were paying for internet in a wired situation through Time Warner Cable in Ohio, except it's actually faster than the wired connection that we had through Time Warner Cable. So we have the internet, that's a comparable price. And then we have Dish Network TV that we take with us everywhere we go and we can set up our Dish satellite. And it's a comparable price to cable TV back in Ohio. Um, we have our mobile cell phones. And so that's going to be the same whether we're at home or we're, uh, you know, whether we're in the motorhome or if we're stationary to a home. We don't have the cost of a stationary landline. A lot of people are dropping those off anyway. Mm -hmm. We don't have any cost at all for utilities. Our, um, all of our electric is, is part of the, you know, we, essentially we get free electricity at every park we go to. We have free water at every park that we go to. We do have to buy the LP gas to fill up our tank occasionally, which that's about twice a year for about 30 or 40 bucks. So that's all of the, a lot of the heating that we do with the motorhome is electricity. Uh, and then we uh, support it also with the LPG uh, 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 heating as well. And then we do all of our cooking with uh, liquefied petroleum gas. So uh, that's like, $80 a year compared to maybe, you know, $100 a month in a house. Wow, that's amazing. And that's like, that's like propane, right? Those... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and then we have, uh, uh, if you compare, you know, what you're paying in a house payment or what you would pay in rent, um, you can, you can, even if you don't have membership like we have, 
you can hook up a deal with most campgrounds to to pay somewhere between two to four hundred a month uh, to stay in the campground month by month. And in a lot of cases, especially in the South, if you're paying four hundred a month for a campground, you've got a really nice campground. Uh, one of the uh, one of the places, if you'll buy a month for four hundred a month, they send a guy out with a bucket and a hose, and he washes your RV for you. Wow. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of competition in the South, and there's a lot of really nice campgrounds, and they really want to please, especially older and retired people who are full time RVers, and they yeah. want them in there for four hundred a month. Uh, you know, pretty much full time. Yeah, it sounds like they're very customer oriented and they understand, you know, that the market kind of should dictate how how these things play out. Yeah, and they really especially if you can stick with the more mom and pop type uh campgrounds, they are very cash oriented and mm-hmm. they like it when you come in and and pay in cash and especially if you can give them a month in cash, they just you can see the thrill on them cuz you know they're they're not making any kind of record of that. Yeah. So they love it when you pay them in cash. Awesome. You, you have to convert them to bitcoins. Yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> so downside. What's uh, you know the, the, this sounds all great and wonderful once once I you know figure out. How yeah, we have this big fantasy home. about how awesome this will be and that yeah. there will be no problems whatsoever. So. Um, surely there are problems. Sure, there's more mosquitoes. Those are a problem. The uh, well, mention the gas. That's that's always an uh, an un, a, a unpredictable aspect of this. How much is it going to cost? Are we going to be buying gas for two ninety a gallon or four ten? And when you're buying sixty right. or seventy gallons, that's a that's a pretty big factor. Yeah. Um, but beyond the gas, which we can't control, uh, the the biggest hurdle is the initial investment. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got twenty thousand and all you can buy is a used RV, um, then you you may have mechanical problems and travel may be a problem. So you have uh, you know that initial investment. If you have got budgeted for fifty thousand and you can that puts you into a different classification. And you can get a much more stable vehicle. Uh, you're probably still going to have to go with used. Um, so they're still going to have mechanical issues. If you can go with something very close to new, and if you can spend close to a hundred thousand, um, then if you work it right, then you, you, you've el- probably eliminated the mechanical issue. And, uh, and now you go with how comfortable is the coach? How comfortable are we going to be in this RV? And at that point, from a hundred thousand and up, it just gets nicer and nicer and nicer. If you can spend a hundred and twenty thousand, the difference between a hundred and a hundred and twenty thousand in in the initial investment is amazing. If you can get to two hundred thousand, you come into a whole different world of luxury and <laughs> stability of the vehicle and everything else. It's just amazing. Uh, so the so the biggest initial problem is the is the layout of cash to get the thing. And if, of course, if you can have it with little or no monthly payments, then then you can make a, a serious comparison to, you know, not having a house payment. If you're paying three hundred or five hundred or a thousand dollars a month for your RV, you might as well be paying that for a house, you know. Yep. Um, another problem you mentioned is insects. I mean, they really that is an issue. Some areas 
the insects are brutal. Uh, we've been in areas in Florida where where my wife and I are both scarred. I mean, literally scarred from the quantity of insects that came on us so fast. And it happened, we didn't even realize how bad we were getting bit until it was just beyond what we could deal with. And, uh, and we both have like year and a half old scars from that. Um, so, so, wow. and that's, you know, uh, and that changes by season also. Some areas are really bad in some seasons and some areas are not so bad. So that's something that you kind of learn as you go along and you, and you figure out, you know, what you can use to fight them with and what you can wear and, and that kind of thing. Um, and avoiding, uh, you know, avoiding the guys in the funny uniforms with their shiny badges as much as you can do that. <laughs> the better uh we have found that traveling through the state of illinois is something that we try to avoid um because you yeah because it's the revenue yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, just their roads yeah it's it's revenue generation and they they hunt you know sometimes they hunt in packs and yeah. uh and it matters very little about who you are or what you drive or you know they they are just feeding off of the populace and it, and some areas are worse than others. We found that in and around the Nashville area, uh, they do the same thing. You just they just come out in in packs and they feed on the freeways. And so if you can learn the areas and avoid them, that's that's a, a big advantage. So, sounds very much like the mosquitoes then. Yeah, <laughs> you can have scars that last for yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. pests that you want to avoid. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you don't. So, so speaking of the the um, funny uniforms and shiny badges, you haven't had many issues with that in Alabama. Uh, not at all in Alabama. Nope. Um, <laughs> it must have gotten better then, because <laughs> I used to have all kinds of problems in Alabama. <laughs> One of the things I think the deeper into the south you get, I think there's a greater appreciation for people in RVs um, because they make so much money for the communities in other ways. You know, they bring money, the people from Minnesota and the people from New York and the people from all up in those areas that come south for the winter bring so much money with Mm -hmm. them that the local municipalities kind of, you know, make the cops leave them alone because that's they're bringing money south with them, and and uh, they're kind of like the tourists uh, in that way. Mm. Go where you're treated best. Yeah, that's a absolutely. Good rule to live yeah. by. Yeah. <laughs> um, so overall, you know, considering my and Diana seems to have a lot more experience than I do, but you know, a fairly low level of experience with this. We're you know looking at increasing. Uh, the liberty in our life is this uh, is this is this an adventure that you would say yeah you guys go try it out or or what would be your warnings or, or you know is this something that you would recommend to a young couple? I would definitely recommend it. One of the one of the ways to learn whether or not it's something that might you know strike you as as something that you want to do on a short term you can rent an RV for like a weekend or for like a week. They're not all that expensive, and there's several companies that rent them, and you can kind of go out and get a feel of the uh, of the lifestyle a little bit like that with without that long-term giant investment of buying a motorhome. Um, that's one quick way into it. Uh, another way is like like my wife and I did. We bought a, a decent used motorhome. Our first our first RV, our first actual motorhome. We spent a little over ten thousand dollars on it. 
Um, and then we, I think we put about another two or three in mechanical, two or three thousand in mechanical to kind of stabilize some issues it had. But uh, it was a great motorhome. It was old and ugly, but it, it, you know, it didn't let us down. It, it went where we needed to go. It provided us an emergency vehicle during uh, times when my wife's mother was ill and then eventually died, and then when my father was ill and eventually died. It was the great. Uh, it was like a command module for us to be able to just get in it in an emergency, grow, go across the United States camp in a different place where you know where where we could be close to a hospital or whatever and it was really wonderful for that and it gave us more experience with with rving um and i and i should mention too that having an rv you know for people who are kind of leaning toward the survivalist or the prepper lifestyle or people who have a desire for liberty and they just they want to live more of a cash lifestyle and they want to get away from you know, the constant regulations and the constant dealing with a city government or a county government or whatever, um, there's a huge advantage to being on the road in an RV. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, if if something happens, let's say there's some kind of a disaster. Let's say, let's say, the you know, the horrible thing that happened with the Boston Marathon last year and then the horrible response that the local government had in coming in and locking down a whole city and going house to house and, you know, pointing guns at people's faces and, and scaring children and everything. Yeah. Um, that level of tyranny is pretty much eliminated if you can just fire up your motorhome and drive to a different place when something bad happens. Um, same with weather. You know, a lot of the prepper uh, and survivalist movement is based on preparing for some kind of natural disaster that you don't have any warning or control over. Well, we have literally, we were in uh, near the town of Gulf Shores in Alabama uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and we were watching the weather patterns, and we weren't happy with the way the weather was going, and we were walking around outside, and we're just getting the feeling that, man, this is this is not right. We need to get out of here. And we, so we just, we had already paid ahead in, in the campground we were in, even, we, you know, so we, we, and you don't get refunds for things like that generally. <laughs> no, no. So, um, but we just got the feeling, you know, from looking at the satellite and from the, how it felt outside, how the weather felt, we thought, you know what, we need to get out of here. And we just jumped in about 15, 20 minutes. We had the whole rig, you know, ready for the highway, jumped in it hit the road, took off, and just literally outran a swarm of tornadoes that came through the area. We were, as we were driving down the highway, we were seeing trash cans blowing across the road behind us. Oh, my God. And it was like, you know, an hour drive, and we're in a completely different place, safe, and then we can go and check the news, you know, to see what it was that that we missed that we drove out of. So in that sense, you know, you can you can literally get up and in a half an hour uh, at the worst, if you keep your motorhome ready to go, fully equipped, it's not hard to, to keep a month's supply of food in a motorhome. So uh, and you can live like in our motorhome with the setup that we have, we can go a couple weeks without being connected to anything if we need to. Um, so, so this is really nice to, if you keep a full tank of fuel and you keep everything all, you know, ready to go, then you have something that you can very quickly, and you don't have to go on a freeway with it. We can take, you know, side roads and back roads mm-hmm. and get to, get out of a bad place and get into a good place and get around checkpoints. 
and uh, we can do so pretty effectively. And I and I think that gives us an advantage in as far as liberty-minded people uh, go. I think that gives you an advantage as to being, you know, the crazy survivalist or the crazy liberty person who's living in a, we put giant air quotes here, in the compound where, you know, they come and they surround it and it becomes Ruby Ridge or whatever. It can never happen because you're always on, you just go, you just leave. You drive away from Ruby Ridge and live somewhere else. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. That I, I mean, that that's that, that's kind of what I'm 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 aiming for. <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually, you know, the more I look at my current situation, which you know, I'm not in trouble. I have a, a nice home and everything is is, uh, is is good. But but I look at you know, you mentioned Boston and some of these other events, yeah. and and I mean, even with you know someone who's prepping for all sorts of disasters. That anchors you down so much. I mean, you become so invested in this one particular plot of land that, uh, and you know, you can never defend something like this against the government if they decide to come in. And so, yeah, I, I like the mobility aspect of it. This is awesome. Yeah, I, I really like that too. Um, and some of the people in the, that are, you know, hardcore preppers and so forth could make different arguments in different ways. And they can talk about how the roads can be locked down, and and there's uh, this is a very complicated thing that wasn't that doesn't really have one answer to suit everybody's needs. But after, you know, I was pretty heavy into the prepper movement uh, for a few years there, and I've really got to the point of where I realized that having the ability to quickly leave an area is far more handy than any thoughts of trying to buckle down and defend something. Even if you just have a garden, you know, if a, if, yeah. if if an area is suddenly without electricity for a month, um, your your garden may cause you to be a target that it may or may not be worth you spending, you know, threat, uh, uh, risking your life to protect. It might be right. better to just, you know, be able to, to go someplace else. Wow. Yeah. We, I mean, we just read a book called One Second After. Bill Bupert had recommended that at uh, Porkfest. And, uh, while exaggerated and a fiction novel, you know, there's, there's nothing necessarily real about it, but it's a story of an EMP that just essentially destroys, you know, power and a lot of most transportation and all that in the U.S. And yeah, you, you, you see how, you know, after just, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, yeah, something like having a garden with fruits and vegetables that grow in it. Yeah, good good luck defending it because all your neighbors are going to want it. <laughs> and uh, when you're starving, uh, neighbors might not be as nice as they were when uh, everything was uh, hunky dory. That's kind of, and this is getting a little into the paranoid realm, but but that's kind of one of the things that I liked about our old motorhome was the older vehicles are less susceptible right. to EMPs than the newer ones. Uh, the, you know, the newer one is something like that happened, and everything pretty much shuts down. But yeah, I was yeah, I was actually just thinking that. I'm thinking yeah. like, okay, so a new RV would be pretty vulnerable to that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bad example, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Ben, um, that that's that that's a very um, good overview, and uh, you, you've increased my understanding of the RV lifestyle significantly. Diana, any, any any other things that you were thinking of that uh, we might not have talked about? Or? No, I'm ready to go. Let's You're ready go. to go? Yeah. yeah. 
You want you want the hundred thousand dollar RV or the two hundred thousand or the twenty thousand? I'm thinking more like in the million dollar range. Million dollar RV. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll we'll look for that. Of course, that would probably be the one that would be by far the most vulnerable yeah. in EMP attack. So, but anyway. I, I should mention the difference between diesel and gas also because oh, this, is, yeah. this is really important to some people and other people they don't find it all that important. Our vehicle is a, is a gas vehicle and um, it has some of the myths with gas is that well they're not as powerful or whatever. But you know we can pass right by the diesel rigs, we can pass right by diesel trucks. We have a ton of power. Um, it's a, a big V10 Ford engine, and it pulls this this uh, RV with, with absolute ease up and down mountains and so forth. Um, the advantage with the diesel, of course, is that the engine itself turns much slower. Therefore, it doesn't create as much heat, and it doesn't create as much friction, and it doesn't... Uh, it, so the engine itself lasts longer. So um, our RV, we might... Um, oh, hold on one second. Oh, okay, okay. My wife just handed me a really important note, but and I'll and I'll mention that. Uh, with our RV, we can expect to get 150 to 200 thousand miles out of it before it really uh, it it's not gonna, it's going to become a very very heavy trailer at that point, and it's going to need to be parked somewhere, and and that's pretty much it. Well, what's the lifespan you're saying in miles? Uh, 150 to 200,000 yeah. for for a gasoline uh, RV. A diesel uh, is going to cost you more initially, but you can often get 200 to 500,000 miles out mm -hmm. of the diesel wow. with yeah. the same uh, same you know maintenance and so forth uh, as as you have with the gas. So. Uh, so the long term, how many miles you're going to be putting on it is is fairly important, and also uh, the the note that my wife handed me, if you're going to buy, if you're going to go with new, if you're going to go with used, then you want to get something like one or two years old, and you you lose that uh, brand new premium that whoever bought it new had to pay to get you know to get the label new on it, but if you're going to go go with new, and of course the advantage there is you have all the warranties and everything. If you buy around late September through October or maybe very early November when the new models are coming out and you pick from something that's been on their lot all year and they haven't sold it yet, then you can get a significant discounts. Uh, and I'm talking like 30% discount, 40% oh, wow. discount. And, and if you're talking a hundred, let's say you're talking a hundred thousand dollar motorhome, or or whatever kind of RV, if you can get a thirty percent discount, that's thirty thousand dollars you save. <laughs> that's amazing, <laughs> and that's really realistic because they don't want to be stuck with last year's motorhome sitting on their new lot. Um, so so if you're shopping for new, if you're convinced you have to have new, then do so in late September, October, and the early part of November because that's when the new ones are arriving. And you want to get the year prior. That's what we did. And we literally saved, let's see, uh, 20, we saved almost $50,000 off the, off the, um, uh, the sticker price uh, on our mobile, on our motorhome by buying it when we did. We were, we bought it the, the week that the new motorhomes were showing up from the factory. And, oh, wow. And so we literally were able to negotiate almost $50,000 off the price. Wow. 
That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. That's a great, uh, great trick yeah. there. Thank, thanks, Cindy, for uh, giving, yeah. uh, giving notes. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Cindy, you weren't there when we first showed up at your motorhome there at Porkfest. So Cindy gave us the tour. And uh, this is really where we got the little uh Yeah, this is where we got the bug. Bite. The bug. Yes. <laughs> That's all I have. Yeah, I, I I think we've covered everything. Any any questions that I had anyway. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. Me too. I'll uh um I made a recording of this, so I'll trim it all up and I'll send you guys a copy. You can do whatever you want with it and then I'll put up a copy over at Bad Quaker. And uh, we'll let Michael Dean know about it in case he wants to hear it or or spread the word that we've got one on uh, you know on the topic or whatever. So awesome, yeah. Um, I was gonna. Oh, I just thought of something else, and then it slipped my mind. Oh, does that happen oh. often? <laughs> can um, so all the other organizations and everything that you that you were mentioning, can you can you send those to us? Can you like can you send us links and Maybe things like the, that? In the podcast notes. Yeah, I can do that. Um, that's probably a good idea. I'll put in the podcast notes, I'll put links to uh, some websites, and I'll send you guys, when I send you the uh, uh, the email, I'll uh, I'll put it in there as well. Great. Maybe a last question. Where are you headed next? Currently, we're in southwestern Missouri. We're going to go down to the Branson, Missouri area, which is a big tourist area, and they have like you know, washed up uh, country and rock and roll stars and so forth. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then we're we're going to cruise through. We own some property in uh, in Arkansas that we'd kind of like to get rid of. So we're going to cruise through there and uh, see what kind of market there is to hopefully maybe sell that property. And then we're going to go through. Uh, my wife and I, my wife and I have never been in the state of Mississippi or Louisiana. So we're going to cruise into Mississippi and Louisiana. And uh, then eventually, if everything goes right, we're hoping to go back into Alabama for the hard part of the winter. Cool. That yeah. sounds like you guys are very free. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So where in Arkansas is your property? It's at, uh, if, you, if you remember back in the Clinton years, there was a big scandal called the Whitewater uh, Scandal. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that essentially what was going on back in those days, there was, you know, they would get the government to dam up a, a small creek or river or something, and that would create a, a lake. And then, mm-hmm. you know, prior to that happening, they would buy up a bunch of land around the area that's going to be lakefront property, and then the, so so the government has paid to dam up the, the river. Now the property values go through the roof, and then they would get investors to then come in and either invest in their whole land scheme that they had going on or buy the land that's around at, mm-hmm. at a huge profit for the ori- original investors. And so there was a few of those that were out, and, and we actually got property from from one of those after, if you can put it this way, after the bubble popped in that market. We bought oh. really cheap. We bought a lot of pro- – not a, not a lot. We bought a single lot on one of those lakes like that. And we've just sat on it for years and years and years. And if our calculations are correct, we're probably going to make maybe, if we're lucky, 10 times our investment on it. So so we're hoping. We hope. Even even if we doubled our investment, I'd be thrilled. But, you know, I I think we can make five, six times uh, what what we invested on it. 
Oh, nice. So, so is, is that like in the in the mountain area of Arkansas, or? Yeah, up in the northern parts in the yeah, in the mountains up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I used to live in Arkansas, so. Oh really? <laughs> I know a little bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful in the northern part. Yeah. 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 Maybe one day we'll go see it with our RV. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's the plan. <laughs> Thank you right. so much, Ben. This was awesome. Yeah, hey, it's been great talking to you guys, and it was wonderful seeing you at Porkfest, too. That was just really, really nice. Yeah, it really was. I can't wait to go back. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Take care. Have a, have a great day. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. Bye.